Hello, everyone. I am Sherry Dutterer from The Writing Glitch. I am with Penny Williams. Penny, as I told you before, you have been one of those people that have been on podcasts that have been like an, I wish I could do that kind of a person, <laughs> like really early on. And about a year ago, you reached out to me and had me on your podcast. No, one of your summits, I think Summit. it was. Yeah. And we've not always been keeping in touch, but yet we know each other is there now. And so when we have the need for a resource, we have somebody that we can refer to. When I was listening to your podcast really in depth, because before five years ago, I was traveling all the time. Now I'm stuck here at home by choice. (laughs) But with the pandemic and all the changes that have happened, I'm here more. And my podcast listening went (laughs) when I stopped driving. And so I don't get to listen to them as much. And when I was listening to your podcast, it was Parenting ADHD and Autism. And right before we hit record, you said you changed the name to Beautifully Complex. Yep. Tell us a little bit about Beautifully Complex. How is it different from the old podcast? It's really essentially the same as the old podcast. It's just that I wasn't only talking about ADHD, which was all that was in the original title of the podcast. And so I wanted to make sure that parents of kids with autism, anxiety, learning disabilities, those kind of parents were also finding us because we were talking about those things too. And one of the tenants in our manifesto of the neurodiverse family is we are all beautifully complex and marvelously imperfect. And so I pulled part of that and renamed it beautifully complex because I think that really identifies our neurodivergent population, our kids, in a positive mindset sort of way, right? That, that yes, it's complex, it's complicated, but also there's a lot of beauty in it and there can be a lot of joy in it as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, you started this podcast because of family issues. You're a parent. And I asked Mm -hmm. you just before I hit record, are you a teacher as well? So are you willing to share a little bit about how the whole idea of podcasting came into existence so we can get a a background as to where you were coming from so that we can talk about how we can help these kids with uh, emotional outbursts? Yeah. So I started doing this work because I have a kid who originally was diagnosed with ADHD at age six. Autism spectrum was added at age 12. He also has dysgraphia and anxiety and significant executive functioning challenges. And he has a very high IQ. So (laughs) he is a poster child of asynchronous development for sure. And I started because I couldn't understand why he was having such a problem at school. And I was on this waiting list to have this evaluation, which takes months to do. And I just started searching and reading books and I couldn't figure out what was happening. And so I started blogging. I'm like, I'm just going to put it out there in the universe. 
And somebody's going to find me and answer this question for me, which didn't happen. But <laughs> when we got the diagnosis and I started talking about ADHD there, then lots of people started coming. Lots of parents were having similar struggles. And the blog turned into books, which turned into online parent training and coaching. And then I added the podcast, which has been six years ago, actually. I can't believe it's been that long. And so I've been on this journey with my kids since 2008. (laughs) It's been a long time. He's 20 now, almost 21. So we've been through all the ages and stages and just, I started to get to a point where I could look back and say, there really was this path that would have been the most effective and easiest path to go down, but nobody would, that wasn't out there. Nobody was saying, hey, here's your diagnosis. Here's what you actually do. They're saying, hey, here's your diagnosis. Here's a one-page fact sheet on ADHD. Here's a one-page fact sheet on stimulants. And here's your prescription. That's literally our experience, literally. And then we were out the door and I just was frozen. What was I going to do? I had no clue. Fortunately, there's so much more online now than there was back then to help parents. And I found building community on Facebook and stuff was completely necessary for me to learn from others who had maybe walked that path before, but also just for that support and knowing that you're not alone. Did I tell you my experience with ADHD? I don't think I know your story. So my son always had this little bit of a defiantness in him where he would like to get himself into trouble. Not that it was bad trouble, but it was trouble and very inattentive, not hyperactive, not always impulsive. Like that impulsivity (laughs) was waxing and waning. And I'm like, what is going on with this kid? So I asked the pediatrician if we could screen him for ADHD. So she had me fill out all the paperwork and everything. I fill out everything and give a hand it back to her. And she's like, yeah, this is an ADHD. He turns 21, gets graduated out of that. And we were able to get an electronic copy of all of his medical records from the pediatrician. And there she says, yeah, he had ADHD. And, but she told me no. Oh, no. I was like, really? I could have had that support, but yet you said no. So there was wow. that. And my daughter, we never got the diagnosis, but she is definitely also an ADHD. ADHD or also believe my husband is on the on the same way but I thought I was going through this ADHD thing so for you people that are adults that are in that transition time when I was going through menopause I thought I had ADHD yeah I called up to try and get an appointment she's have you seen your gyno lately no uh you better go there but as soon as I started taking hormones it was like wow I have a brain again yeah, so many changes at this age. <laughs> yeah, but I'm losing but my mind. Still, yeah, yeah. But still, when you think about it and you have these kids, they're going through the hormone changes in middle school. Yep. And have the ADHD on top of it. Oh, it's no wonder those middle schoolers have such a rough time in school. Such a rough time. And then that social aspect getting so much more complex and challenging on top of all the other things. It's like a perfect storm. For neurodivergent mm-hmm. kids, middle school, it's so hard. Yeah. So 
tell me a little bit about what you're teaching the parents. Is there one of those out key factors or key activities that you like to share with the parents to help kids with the emotional outbursts? There isn't one activity because really it's a process of getting to know your own individual kid and when they're regulated and dysregulated and what helps them regulate. And so our behavior revolution program walks you through that entire process. So it's much more in depth than that, but there's definitely some things that parents need to know at first just to understand. I remember when I heard the term amygdala hijack many years ago and I was like, oh my gosh, that's what's been happening to us for years because I call myself the great rationalizer, right? So every time my kid had an issue, I needed to talk him through it, right? It was all about talking him through. I could help him if we just talked about it and it always made it worse. And I was like, why does this not work? It's just common sense. Why does this not work? And it was because his emotional brain and survival brains had taken over and his thinking brain was offline. He couldn't process what I was saying to him. All it was doing was adding to his overwhelm and we call it co-escalating. So instead of co-regulating and helping him to calm, I was actually escalating him just in trying to help. We're trying to help, but it's exactly what we shouldn't be doing. Our instincts are just off there because we don't understand the role of biology in those big emotions and why our kids who are neurodivergent have typically a harder time with big emotions and regulating. And so just, I think, understanding first and foremost, that when your kid is dysregulated, their thinking brain isn't functioning very well. So if you're asking them to do something, it's not going to be doable. If they are really emotional or they're having a meltdown they need to recover from that. It is not something that you can talk them out of or punish them out of or anything like that. And that's the biology piece that then helps us realize too that it's not personal. When my kid was seven years old screaming that he didn't love me in the grocery store and people were coming around the end of the aisles and looking at me, (laughs) like that wasn't intentional to hurt me, right? It might've felt like it. it was very embarrassing and I have social anxiety. So I worry about the judgment of others and what they think of me all the time. That's my brain. So it was really hard and I had to learn that stuff didn't matter. What mattered was my kid was having a really hard time and it wasn't that he was trying to hurt me. It wasn't that he was even trying to get what he wanted. It started that way. It started with, I need three sugary cereals, not the two that you allowed me to have. I need one more. But it morphed into more than that because he didn't have the skills and the ability yet to self-regulate, right? And so those emotions took over and the behavior just happens. Our nervous system has all of these built-in alarms. When it senses danger, our body gives us these signals, right? These alarms. And if we don't know what to do with them or if we're not even tuned in, a lot of our kids really struggle with interoception and that sensory sense of being able to notice what's going on in their body and think about what it means and what they might do with that information. And so their body and their nervous system is just taking over and, it, and they're acting instinctually, right? They're not making a choice. And I think that is a big turning point for parents when you understand that 
so much of that behavior, as much of that behavior is true for neurotypical kids, is true for neurodivergent kids. So the intention level would be the same. So if your kid is having 10 times more outbursts and 10 times more lashing out at you, then all of that extra is because they don't have the skills to deal with it like a neurotypical peer would. And it's really just, I'll call it life-changing because that's really what popped into my head. It's really life-changing when you understand your kid in that way because you can start to look at it as I need to help them. They're having a hard time. Not, why is my kid acting this way? Why are they doing this to me? Those sort of personal things. And the other piece of that too is that we have to stop judging our kid's behavior. Words like, disrespectful, defiant, oppositional. I teach parents to stop using those words, stop even thinking those words because that comes with intention. And so you're assuming your kid has intention when they're screaming at you that they hate you in public when, you know, 99% of the time, it wasn't a choice. Our kids are impulsive. They didn't stop and think through. I wonder how I can really embarrass my mom in the grocery store today. Let me think about that. Oh, this is what I'm going to do. It doesn't happen. And that's that sort of disconnect that we have that we really have to work through and be very mindful and aware. And then we're able to stay calm and let our kids borrow that calm and co-regulate with them. And now we're helping the situation. You mentioned a word gosh, several minutes ago now, interoception. Mm -hmm. Interoception is really your body's ability and your awareness of what's going on inside. So it is, are you hungry? Are you really aware of being hungry? Did you have your coffee today, Miss Penny? (laughs) (laughs) Sure did. Or what is it that's feeling a little bit off Uh, maybe you are inside, you don't really feel it yet, but your system is, digestive system is getting the point where it wants to release and you're feeling that malaise before it gets to that point, but you really can't tell. My daughter has severe IBS and she can't even tell you until it's in her rectum that she has to make a bowel movement. So it has been a very interesting challenge over the years of trying to figure out why. And a lot of these kids have those same issues. And we get a lot, of, I see a lot of kids that they wait till the last minute to ask to go to the bathroom. Mm. There could be a biological reason why. And so when I reflect back on interoception, I utilize the digestive tract just because it's a very easy one to understand. But all of the systems in your body, your endocrine system, your skin, your respiratory tract, your cardiovascular system, they all work with a sense of understanding the connection from the body to the brain and what's going on to support the brain to be able to act in a logical, typical fashion. Kids with neurodivergent neurotransmitter issues aren't going to react the same way as a typical kid. So understanding and learning that feeling inside but it's actually teaching them what they're feeling and helping them be aware of it. 
Yeah. Yeah. And my own kid, we were at the nutritionist a couple of weeks ago. He is willing now to do that. <laughs> I've been offering it to him for a while. And so in that first meeting, there was a lot of questions, right? And one of the questions she asked was, describe what it feels like when you're hungry and when you're full. And he really could not. And what he came up with in the end was full means it feels satisfied, but he couldn't express like what the physical part of him feels like. Totally disconnected from that. And that explained a lot about maybe the overeating, which has been an issue since puberty. (laughs) And the reason that he's trying to get healthier, change his habits. And it was a real eye-opener for me. And here I am teaching parents about interoception, which I didn't know about when he was young. I just learned about interoception in the last few years. But as soon as she started asking those questions, I was like, wait a minute, I'm not sure he can really answer this. And he really didn't have good answers for it. So it's something that we don't typically think about as parents, but it's super important that you understand what your body is telling you in order to be able to process it in an effective way. If you just have this alarm going off and suddenly your heart's racing and you don't know what that might mean, you may freak out. <laughs> you may think, oh my gosh, I'm dying. You might go to that worst case scenario a lot of ki- our kids do. And so we really have to help them understand what those things mean and to start talking about it. Listen to all these gold nuggets that are being dropped. Penny, you are just a wealth of... <laughs> Wow. As we're talking about interoception, have you ever met Kelly Marr, M-A-H-L-E-R? Kelly's been in a couple of our summits in the past. Yep. She is the guru of interoception. She sure is. She sure is. I've been trying to get her on this summit and I can't get her to say yes. But she lives in the same state as I do. She lives down the street. Oh, wow. That's cool. Not that we're right down the street. She's about an hour and a half away. And when they think about this world and how it has changed, people are so much closer together than they were years ago because of the global things like Zoom. Yeah, it's right down the street. (laughs) Yep. We're all connected. And it's beautiful because we need each other. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Now, another thing that you had said there, you had talked about the behavioral changes and the awareness that you had by the conversation with the nutritionist. And you said it was revolutionizing. Hence, going back to your courses, behavioral revolution. Brilliant, girl. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. See, the reason that we called it that is because we really want to change the narrative on behavior. We think about behavior through this crime and punishment lens. The behavior is either good or bad. And if it's bad, then we have to give you something punitive to make it painful so you don't do that thing again. Why? Why are we doing that? It's not helpful. It's damaging. There's a much better way if we just understand where the behavior is coming from and the fact that kid needs help or that adult needs help. It's a signal that something else is going on. And people don't choose to be 
bad people, right? And we actually say, stop using good behavior and bad behavior. You need to think of it as regulated and dysregulated. Where is my kid's biology in this? Because that's what's guiding that behavior. And that then informs you on what's actually going to be helpful. But thinking about it as, oh, they did this bad thing to me. I'm going to make it painful so they won't do it again. First, that doesn't work with super impulsive kids. They can't stop and think about it, right? They're No matter how painful you make it, they're not going to be able to change that behavior from that. There's something causing it. We have to look underneath, which I first learned from Ross Green, of course, and the explosive child and raising human beings. And that's just such a better way of looking at behavior. It's an accurate way of looking at behavior. And we criminalize everything. And the whole school to prison pipeline is a real thing. Kids who have behavior issues in school because they don't fit. You're asking them to do things that aren't doable for them because you're not changing it for their neurology. They end up in prison. We have to stop that. We have to change this. And there are a lot of people out there who are pushing the same narrative now on behavior. And I see it slowly shifting, but we need a cultural, really a worldwide shift, I think, in the way that we're thinking about it. So that's where that came from. Like we really just want parents to understand that crime and punishment doesn't work. It's not really compassionate and it's not at all helpful. Not at all helpful. I believe I've seen some figures and maybe I'm quoting the figures wrong, but I've seen some figures that say 90% of the people that are in prison have dyslexia, dysgraphia, and dyscalculia. I'm not surprised. There was a statistic about ADHD that I heard years ago, and I don't remember what it was, but I want to say it was up there in the 80%. Mm -hmm. There's so much undiagnosed stuff in our prison population. And if we were just helping them with that, how much better would the world be? How many fewer people would be in prison? And I'm a true crime junkie. I've always been interested in crime. I have a minor in criminology. I used to want to be an FBI profiler. Like I've always been interested in people and why they do the things they do. And when I watch these shows and people who've committed crimes who are in prison or talking, it's always so clear that there was either trauma in their childhood or they have undiagnosed challenges that have not been addressed. And this is what has gotten them where they are. And it just blows my mind that we can't look at it differently. Yeah, it is amazing how the knowledge in psychiatry and understanding of psychiatry has changed the way we treat people. Yeah. So much more work to do. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. So tell us a little bit about how to find some of your resources. You have a lot of stuff for free because you have the podcast, but you also have some other things. And I believe you have a summit coming up. Yeah. So Everything is linked up on my website, parentingadhdandautism.com. You can link to the Behavior Revolution Initiative there and that program. You can link to the podcast there. I also have a program called Stop Battling With Your Child, which again is rooted in understanding that behavior and who our kids are and why they do the things that they do. 
And then twice a year, I do summit. We have a decoding behavior summit in early spring every year, and then a school struggles summit in the fall. So the one coming up here will be late September, and you'll be able to find information on that on my website as we get closer to that time. And that one, I love doing the school struggles summit because my kids struggled so much in school. He had a really high IQ and he left school thinking he was stupid and useless. And no matter how hard I fought, it was really hard to undo that. And now he graduated almost two and a half years ago. And he's just now starting to really recognize that there is greatness within him and he is capable and just engaging. He was so disengaged with the world by the time he finished school. So, you know, we have lots of educators who attend that summit as well as parents and even some clinicians. And we just really need to understand what neurodivergent kids need in school to feel successful. Because as soon as they walk in that building, they recognize that they don't fit. They recognize that it was not made for them, but they're still being asked to make it work for them. And they don't have the skills to make it work for them. The adults in the room have to make it work for them. We talk a lot about specific learning disabilities. We talk a lot about ADHD, autism, social emotional stuff that happens at school, school avoidance and refusal. I had that kid and we focus a little bit on that as well. I see a lot more of that now. After the pandemic, there is vastly more school avoidance. Many more families are dealing with that and it's tough. But again, you really have to understand what's going on under the surface and then you get why it's happening, but it's still really hard to deal with. We dealt with it for eight years, fourth grade through graduation. It was super, super challenging. And so I am always make sure to focus a little bit on that as well. And then like homework struggles and specific things that we often deal with when our kids have challenges at school. Also IEP 504, how to relate to teachers, how to talk to the teachers and have these meetings that can be collaborative and really helpful to everyone. That sort of stuff is always included in that summit. Yeah. And a couple of years ago, you had me on that summit. Last year, I think. Yep. Was it last year? Okay. So yeah, we talked about dysgraphia. Yeah, <laughs> I, I thought it was longer than that. But yeah, that's the summit that I was on that you were hosting. And the people that were on there were phenomenal. If you are at all interested in these emotional kids, please look up Penny's information you can find more information and all the details in the companion course. And that is at sherrydaughter.com, Emotional Kids Summit. But if you go into the show notes, I will also have a link in there for the Emotional Kids Summit companion course. And then you can find all those details that Penny's been talking about. Awesome. Do you have anything else that you'd like to add before we depart for the day? Yeah, I would just tell parents to be kind to themselves. It's a really hard journey and we want the best for our kids. And we feel like it's our fault if they're not getting that. And it isn't always. I was a super educated parent. I was super involved. I probably sent thousands of emails to the school during my kid's school career 
countless meetings. I worked very hard to help people understand him. And he still came out of school broken, right? And so I had to learn that I was doing everything I could. I was doing the best that I could with the knowledge that I had and the environment that we were given, right? And so I always just ask parents, give yourself some grace, be kind to yourself. If you're showing up here for the summit, you are doing the best you can. And remember that and just really give yourself some grace. Absolutely. Absolutely. I could not have said that any better. (laughs) And what I always tell my listeners is remember, you were put here for such a time as this, because Mm -hmm. the kids that you were put here to teach, to be a therapist for, to be a parent for, God puts you with that kid for one particular reason. And he has you assigned because you were the right person to be there and support them. So remember, you were put here for such a time as this. This has been Sherry Dutter at the Emotional Kids Summit, a special edition of The Writing Glitch. It's been great having you here, Penny. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me.